Bavangona was a real interesting model because it was attempting to group these relatively disenfranchised, small-scale, very dis widely dispersed farming operations together. I think there's a great opportunity for a Bavangona to expand uh, into other countries uh, beyond Nigeria, uh, and second, for other organizations to see the model and replicate that. I'm working directly to the farmers. I'm in between between Babagona and the farmers. Then I joined Babagona because actually I write agric. That's the reason why I come, came to Babagona. This is the third episode of the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation podcast, all about partnering with businesses for commercial solutions to food security challenges where USAID works. And I'm Aviva Kutnik, an agriculture officer at USAID. You just heard from Matthew, a partnership lead at Partnering for Innovation, and Daouda M. Masama, who works in Nigeria for Babangona, the company that Matthew just introduced. Dauda works at the center of Babangona's operations, directly with smallholder farmers. We'll get back to Dauda later. But if this is the first time you're joining us, I want to plug our two previous episodes. The first was about how a private company can be linked to donor-funded agricultural programming in Guatemala. And the second was about how two fully commercial partnerships in Guatemala and Malawi are succeeding. Right now, in episode three, we are going to devote our time to how companies like Babangona in Nigeria are working in smallholder farmer markets, and specifically how we select companies like Babangona to partner with USAID through Partnering for Innovation. To do that, I want to set the stage a bit more by hearing first from two of Partnering for Innovation's team members, and then from Babangona's managing director. And so here are Elisa and Matthew to get us started. Hi, this is Elisa. Hi, this is Matthew. And we are from the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation program. We develop and manage the partnerships, some of which were featured in episode one and two. Partnering for Innovation facilitates in a very direct and hands-on way a bringing together of USAID uh, funding and USAID development objectives with the commercial private sector's uh, business objectives. USAID and my office within the Bureau for Food Security focuses on market systems and partnering with the private sector. We do this because one, the private sector can make unique contributions, and two, because we know that private investment is needed to meet the goals of the US government's Global Food Security Act. All right, I'm going to back up a bit and give a brief history of the legislation. Feed the Future garnered broad bipartisan support, culminating in the enactment of the Global Food Security Act in 2016. The Global Food Security Act codifies U.S. commitment to eliminating hunger and malnutrition globally. We will be working more and more directly with the private sector to achieve these food security goals. Feed the Future has partnered with hundreds of local small and medium-sized businesses, as well as U.S. and multinational companies, leveraging, as a conservative estimate, about 830 million U.S. dollars in direct private sector capital investment for food security. 
we will be looking at more and more innovative activities for unlocking private sector investment, engagement, and business solutions for reaching U.S. and global food security goals over the next five years. You have to make sure that um, you're aligning with the USAID's strategy and its objectives in a country. Uh, we are funded through USAID and U.S. taxpayers, and therefore you have to make sure that uh, USAID is on board and aligned. I would add that one of the really important things uh, to do when, when funding the private sector is in ensuring that the work you're funding is important to the core business. So you want it to be something that this business needs to do for for their own production goals or, or revenue goals. Because if you're creating something and just asking the private sector to do it, that's not necessarily sustainable. But if it's something they're integrating into their business model that's key to their success, then you're going to see that long-term sustainability. It's a co-creation process. We agree on a scope of work for a sector or a country and region making sure it advances our food security goals, but also takes into consideration the company's bottom line. We review the finalists together and negotiate directly with each potential company during due diligence. From the very start, Partnering for Innovation was designed differently to really focus on attracting the private sector. We knew we wanted to find market-based business solutions for attracting private sector partners and unlocking matching funds and even more investment from them at the same time. You can really tell from how we marketed our program from the outset. Here's a video we made way back when, which Brina, another team member, narrates. Partnering for Innovation is different, and we've designed our program with the private sector in mind. We negotiate targets that you need to achieve that are based on you and your business performance. For example, achieving your sales milestones, developing a marketing plan and a business expansion plan that will help you grow your business. We will immediately begin negotiating a performance-based grant. That means that you will get paid based on the successful completion of those targets. It's funny to listen to that. We gear our grants to a company's needs while ensuring that there will be a smallholder farmer impact. Let's go back to Bambangona to get a sense of how a government donor grant can do just that, de-risk the high costs that are required for a company to enter these challenging base-of-the-pyramid markets. In order to get food security results that development funding is geared for. Well, Bob and Gona's whole business model is is to aggregate um, from these smallholder farmers. So they're they're purchasing from these smallholder farmers and selling on to big companies. The more smallholders Bob and Gona has, the more commodity they can buy, which means the more they can sell on to companies. The company and the business model doesn't exist without that smallholder farmer. Well, the small holder farmer uh, in most developing countries uh, is a focal point for USAID. Uh, and USAID is focused on those 
uh, small scale smallholder farmers because they tend to be a vast majority of people, certainly in rural communities, and they tend to be folks that are marginalized and not well served uh, economically or from an education or health perspective either. So it's key for Bob and Gona to make sure that what they're purchasing from those smallholders is high quality because they're putting their name on it to sell to big companies. To get that quality, Bob and Gona make sure that their farmers have the best tools for that, the best inputs, quality training, and regular extension services through their agents, which they call MIKs. At the same time, aggregating the farmers into trust groups and providing them with knowledge, inputs, and services helps boost smallholder productivity, creating the opportunity to aggregate even higher volumes and thus more returns for Bob and Gona. Okay, so Dauda is one of Babangona's field agents, who they refer to as MIKs. Let's hear more from Dauda about his work. And one quick thing, you may have noticed that there's quite a bit of noise in Dauda's recording. That's because the audio was recorded during a field agent meeting in Nigeria. Other audio throughout the episode can be a bit tough. It's directly from the field too, but I'll do my best to keep explaining as needed. I have 280 farmers. I do visit them all in two weeks. That's 286 fields because there are so many people. There are some farmers, they have two fields or three fields. We do work as early as six o'clock. We do go to the farms, visit the farms. Around two o'clock, we have meeting with the farmers so that we, we can know them better. If there is any problem on their fields, we can advise them on how they can tackle the problems and then in the evening they will now go back to their farms. Then in the evening around five o'clock we do come to our houses and check out the issues which we have discussed with them or like if there's a urgent issues we do take them maybe the following day. If there's no urgent issue on that field we now go to another site. Dauda is one of, right now, given Babangona's growth, 90 MIKs who serve as extension or field agents to Babangona's member farmers. Elisa actually visits one or two times per year. Here's what she has to say. The MIKs are in the field every day, and they go on their motorbikes to visit their farmers, and then they help those farmers assess what they may need or what they should be doing. MIKs are also there during harvest time to provide mechanization services, and mechanization makes a huge impact. Smallholder farmers use threshers to harvest much more maize than they could manually, and they do it in much less time. The Babangona farmers are organized into what they call trust groups, and those are just essentially mini cooperatives. So there'll be around four to five farmers in each trust group, and those farmers nominate a leader. Those trust groups get together and meet fairly regularly, and they talk about their fields and what they're doing and any challenges they have, and then they brainstorm solutions together. The story we see emerging here with Bob Mangona is that their business is to sell on agricultural products to end buyers like grain millers, processors, and animal feed companies. Bob Mangona makes a margin on what they sell to these end buyers. So it behooves them to fill in the gaps that smallholders might face in growing more and better products, such as better quality inputs. Babangona's team all work with one thing in mind. 
improved productivity among smallholder farmers leads to their company's growth. But what does that actually mean to smallholders? What does it do for them? Let's return to Dauda, who works so closely with these farmers, and then let's actually hear from one of these smallholder farmers themselves. Farmers that you see the differences of a new method of farming, and they are appreciating the system very well. Actually, due to Babangona, they have a lot of, uh, as in, for, I foresee so many things. In future, they may they, they will come a Richard, and then their children, they will send their children to uh, better schools, and they will build a better houses, and then all kind of life, good life, they can live a good life, based on what, what I, I, I see that Babangona is trying to make uh, our farmers to become in future. The benefit is uh, the, 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 the agricultural harvest, or the, the yields is increasing, and then the market, they have a good market, which they encourage more farmers to go into it because of the, you know, the problems of our agriculture is lack of input, farm input, and then the good market. So due to the Bogona, they have a better input, and then they have a better market. And people around the axis of Babagona, they are really enjoying Babagona because they have never ever seen any company like Babagona before. Many companies that have come and deceived them, they collect their money, any this kind of thing, and run away. But Babagona, they stand after five years now. So here's Somalia Nuhu. Now, there's a bit of translation and the audio isn't perfect but it gives a good sense of how the commercial imperatives of Babangona serve smallholder farmers. And Babangona's head of distribution is the one translating. Okay, so um, what he just said is um, for every um, is 1.8 hectare he used to be before he joined Babangona, he was getting 15 to 25 bags maximum. Now that he's in Babangona, he gets nothing less than 80, 100 and above 100 bags. That is even after giving Babangona her minimum requirement for harvest, which is 40 bags per tractor. So he's, he's really happy because he had really... A lot of things that happened to his life is completely so he's looking forward to continuously improve himself in Babanguna. It seems to be the perfect solution for him as a smallholder farmer. Okay, cool. So Elisa and Dauda explained how one of the biggest challenges of farming in Nigeria is the lack of inputs like seeds, fertilizer, and pest management, which farmers themselves can rarely afford. Let's get into that and how Babangona is tackling these issues while earning revenue. Here's the managing director. You'll notice that he refers to the business model as a franchise model. My name is Kola Masha. I'm the managing director of uh, Babangona, an agricultural franchise model based in northern Nigeria. Well, fundamentally, what we do at Babangona is we make smallholder farmers richer. Uh, we do this by leveraging a model we've developed called an agricultural franchise, where we franchise a network of grassroots-level farmer cooperatives and support each and every member of that cooperative with a series of services that enable them to dramatically increase their net income, uh, typically to 3.5 times the national average. Well, working with smallholders in general, uh, you face two key challenges. One is really around the cost to serve uh, due to the fragmentation, uh, fragmented nature of smallholder agriculture. And the other key challenge is their purchasing power. Uh, they, they're poor. They don't tend to have a lot of money. 
Taking on the risk of working with customers who don't tend to have a lot of money, as Cola said, means needing a very efficient and very effective model because Bamagona must overcome high transaction costs. Here's Cola again to explain the big picture for how they overcome these challenges. Well, at the core of our model is credit, and uh, it's a very working capital intensive model. Uh, for delivering services to them to overcome the cost to serve and then bundle those services with basically a payment plan that enables them to increase their purchasing power and meet their cash flows. We make money three ways. Uh, we make money by uh, a margin on the credit we deliver to our members, a margin on the inputs we deliver to them, and then as we act as their agent selling their products for them, we also make a commission on the sale. So, you may be asking yourself, how does the bundling work in practice? How are the inputs distributed to so many farmers while still bringing in revenue? How is Babangona measuring their success? All good questions. We could talk about Babangona or really any of the Partnering for Innovation business partners for hours to understand their revenue models and operations. For now, what's clear is that the business model had great potential in terms of both Babangona's viability and in terms of reaching thousands of smallholder farmers. So to focus on our topic, how did we find Babangona in the first place? How can others in development find similar companies who are breaking down barriers for creating income and wealth in rural agricultural markets? It starts before a single company is identified through a robust scoping. First, by understanding the markets where we want to invest, aligning them to USA goals, and convening public meetings in the countries where we want to work. And then we go on to request and analyze proposals. I'm going to go back to Elisa and Matthew to explain this in more detail. Partnering for Innovation sends out a two-person team to a target uh, country, and we do do a robust scoping mission to understand the market dynamics. Um, we're, during those scoping missions, we're looking at where there are opportunities for the private sector to capitalize on. Uh, and try to align those with the overarching USAID objectives of that country. Um, so it's important that we, uh, we do that evaluation of the market. It's important that the market, uh, in these countries, the market in many times is under stress and it's not working well and there are failures. Uh, whether it be on the financing side or the distribution logistics side, uh, infrastructure challenges. Um, but through a robust sort of engagement, uh, we are able to identify uh, where there are good f going to be good fits uh, with the private sector and companies that can, to, can address some of those market challenges. Uh, one of the things that was really attractive about Bob and Gona for Partnering for Innovation was that they had a good plan and they were ready to scale and they just needed that injection of funding to really impact a, a very great number of smallholder farmers. To go back, after the initial scoping mission, we develop a basic description of the types of market gaps, uh, sector-specific challenges, or general interventions that we think will have an impact on smallholder farmers. We make sure that the private sector has the tools and approaches to meet those gaps and challenges. 
It usually includes an outline of the information we need or want to get from companies that send in a proposal, along with a timeline for submitting and selecting. We generally get a dozen or more proposals. In Nigeria, we actually got more than 50. Um, and then we take those proposals and whittle them down to the top contenders using a competitive selection process. We bring together a group of experts that we call a CRC, or a Commercialization Review Committee. A CRC brings together a diverse group of experts in development work, smallholder markets, and agriculture. Together, they evaluate the proposals to decide which will eventually go towards negotiation. The criteria we use are specifically focused on market potential, including demand, smallholder impacts, commercialization plans, financial strategy, sustainability, and the organizational capacity, especially uh, for the leadership. But then the real work begins with negotiations. For the finalists, for example, Bob and Gona, we visit their operations, we get a sense of their priorities, the staff, the leadership, and we look at what was proposed and we work with the potential partner to approve upon that proposal. Uh, they know their business, we know development, so we bring the knowledge and experience together to create efficiencies for more impact. So. Uh, the development goal here for the development objective is to interject in a period of time in Bob and Gona's uh, life, if you will, as an organization where there is a need for financing, financing that's not available to them yet, uh, with the objective that it can be phased out, that, that grant or development funding into more commercial funding once they start to have a history or track record of making money, uh, profits, and, and return and growing their business. So uh, we were fortunate in the case of Bob and Gona where they had started to think through uh, not only activities they wanted to do and, and how to go about that. That does not always happen uh, with all uh, applications and all uh, projects that are proposed, uh, but we were fortunate in this case that they were already looking at that. That said, uh, we had to go in and really determine in talking with them, talking with their senior management, seeing the field operations, was it realistic? Um, and if we put and assigned some of these numbers to milestones, would they hit these milestones? Milestones are designed to help the business meet their commercial objectives while also meeting the development objectives outlined in the request for a proposal. The agreed to milestones then serve as targets in the agreements. There are usually a mix of milestones within each unique agreement. So there could be some that are focused on business targets like revenue, and then there are others that focus on impact targets such as the number of farmers trained. Partners must meet the milestones in order to get paid. In Bob and Gona's case, milestones include that their um, member farmer's productivity is improved in a specific time frame. It also includes that the tonnage they sell on to feed mills or big food companies meet Bob and Gona's revenue goals and USAID's food security objectives. They must meet milestones that show that farmers are growing and harvesting more maize and rice than they would without Bob and Gona. I think that without Bob and Gona, these farmers wouldn't have access to new inputs or knowledge that is helping their productivity. We verify all of the numbers that Bob and Gona reports to us. So, for example, there was a milestone targeting um, 8,000 new farmers, and Bob and Gona actually had to ship us a box of 8,000 signed farmer agreements. And those signed membership agreements represent directly from the farmer 
that he or she was trained, supported with inputs, and provided mechanization services. Bob and Gona uses an enterprise management system, which makes it more efficient for them to track and send that verification to us. Hopefully it's clear. The basic process for how Partnering for Innovation and USAID together select private sector partners and how we negotiate milestones with them that meet their business goals and our development goals. Overall, it's a robust practice to make sure we are appropriately and responsibly scaling agricultural solutions through commercial pathways, one that we are learning from and iterating on. As Matthew said, the potential in Babangona and others we work with lies in the business models they are testing and using to reach thousands, even tens of thousands, more farmers than could otherwise be reached through a purely commercial model. However, what they didn't say is that the milestones are negotiated during due diligence and that partnering for innovation with USAID colleagues visit the businesses as part of this due diligence process. This allows us to verify details and ensure that all USAID requirements, for example, environmental impact mitigations and fair labor practices, can be met by potential partners. The other things that Matthew and Elisa mentioned that I want to draw attention to is that infusion of grant capital from USAID is what Babangona needed to accelerate its products and services for smallholder farmers. The managing director, Cola, says the same, and you'll hear it in a moment. And I also definitely see it with other private sector firms I work with. Donor funding helps them innovate on their products and scale to harder to reach smallholder customers by buying down some of that upfront risk and sharing these costs to enter new markets. And really what the Feed the Future funding enables us to do is to basically uh, have that cushion that enables us to innovate and uh, continuously evolve our models to be able to service our farmers better as we scale rapidly. Uh, we've grown about a hundredfold in the last four years and with the support of uh, Feed the Future we expect to continue that growth uh, into the next two, three years. I'm happy to be part of USAID Feed the Future programming and look forward to bringing even more stories like this to the Partnering for Innovation podcast. Through partnering with companies like Babangona, we are finding sustainable pathways to agricultural development. You heard from Babangona's managing director, Kola Masha, Dauda M. Masama, and Somalia Nuhu from Gazara Village. A special thanks to all of them and to Matthew Krauss and Elisa Burroughs from Partnering for Innovation. You can visit Partnering for Innovation at agtech.partneringforinnovation.org. That's agtech.partneringforinnovation.org to get more information and see some photos of the work we talked about today. This episode of the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation podcast was narrated by me, Aviva Kutnik produced by Laura Ostenso and fine-tuned by Jamie Holbrook, Ian Stanley, and Bob Rabatsky. Stay tuned for future episodes from our other team members about direct commercial partnerships that make technology available and affordable in smallholder markets. Mm -hmm.